the first chapter. Pastor Cameron's gone this week, so we can include him in our prayers in just a bit. I think this is one of the weeks he has for one of his classes. So, uh, anyway, Mark chapter 1, and I want to begin reading at verse number 40. Here the Bible says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's just pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the privilege of having this time in the middle of the week just to sort of get away from the uh, wear and tear and the routine and all the different uh, burdens and situations that we face through a regular work week and to come apart and rest spiritually and to look for the blessing that you have for us. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would bless those who can't be here tonight but would like to be with our pastor, give him a successful week, bless his family and home. We also pray, Father, that you will touch our hearts and encourage us. Uh, The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and so we're grateful for that and just pray that you will use it tonight uh, to minister to us and for your honor and glory. And these things we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We have a fairly familiar story before us tonight. It concerns a leper who comes to Jesus and implores Jesus for healing. I think the word implore is probably a fairly good word to use here. You'll notice in verse number one, and a leper came to him imploring him. But there's a note of urgency in this, not only in the word implore, but it goes on to say, and kneeling. So, There's a sense of urgency in this. I think you can sort of pick that up just in what the opening words are. But beyond the the note of urgency that's involved in just the vocabulary that's used there, you might also notice that he is a leper. And so think about what that meant in Bible times. A a person who was a leper was essentially a spiritual and social outcast. Um, They had to be separate on account of this if, if the ritualistic law were to be followed. And so... To say that the man had a bit of urgency, a bit of desperation to him, I don't think is to overplay this. And of course, the Lord responds. We're told in verse 41 that he's moved with compassion. He heals the man. Then he tells him something very interesting. It says that he sternly charged him, verse number 43. It's kind of interesting. You have a word here that occurs twice in Mark's gospel, only five times in the New Testament. And the way it's translated, you get the you get the definite impression, and and rightly so, that this is not just sort of a polite suggestion on Jesus' part. He implores him, he tells him, he gives him a, 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 a strict warning about this. But then look what happens in the next verse. Well, he goes out and begins to talk to talk freely about it and to spread the news, and the bottom line is Jesus can no longer enter into the towns in order to perform his ministry, but is out in the desperate places and desolate places and people came to him there. 
So all of this raises to me a, a really interesting question that I want to put before you tonight. That's essentially this. You think about prayer and think about answers to prayer. The question is, answers to prayer, do we deserve them? And so there's a couple of answers that I want you to ponder in relationship to that question. Answers to prayer, do we deserve them? Well, think about this. In the purest theological sense, no. The answer to that is definitely no. We don't really deserve anything from God if you think about it. We realize, hopefully, we haven't forgotten that even though the, we're Christians and here's a Wednesday night crowd. You know, this is sort of like preaching to the choir in, in many respects. But, you know, folks, really, if we've gotten away from the fact that we are anything but worthless, lost sinners saved by the grace of God, and we don't really deserve anything from God except his judgment and his condemnation. And we can't really talk to God about being fair because if God is fair, then we receive his, his judgment. And so in the strictest sense of that, the answer to that is absolutely not. I really like the way Jacob puts this. We, and for those of you who are in the ABF class, we're studying Jacob. We haven't gotten to this yet, but back in chapter 32, um, thinking about this note of desperation, and we haven't quite gotten to this yet, but there's a, a certain note of desperation in chapter 32 because uh, the Lord has told Jacob to come back now from Paden Aram, where he's been with, with his father-in-law, with, with Laban, for 20 years. But in the course of this, he knows there's going to be something that he's dreaded for a long time, and that is a, a meetup with Esau, and he's dreading this. But God has promised to be with him, and it's really interesting when he prays about this, when he puts his prayer request before God. He says in verse 9, here's the start off to the prayer. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Now note verse 10. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and of faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed over this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. You know, I think it, it took Jacob a while. This is kind of the process of growing in grace. It took Jacob really a while to mature into that understanding. And I, I think for us, it's something we have to constantly be reminded of. What he says to God is the exact truth. I'm not worthy of the least of your favor. favor, And so when we think about this, do we deserve answers to prayer? No, not in the, in the strictest sense. We don't deserve anything from God. It's only by his grace. Or if you want something a little closer to home, there's an interesting story in Luke chapter 7. So maybe you just stayed with Mark. Go over just a bit to the seventh chapter of Luke. And this is Luke's account of this story about the Roman centurion who has the servant who's taken ill and he knows about Jesus, he knows about healing, and he wants to ask Jesus for something. So we might say he, he's going to pray as well. He wants to ask for the, the healing of his servant. So we'll begin in verse 1. It says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. 
Now, there's a reason why he doesn't come himself, and he tells us this in a moment, but it says, when they came to Jesus, so here are these elders of the Jews, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. Notice that choice of language. He is worthy. He is worthy for you to, have to, do, to do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Really interesting the way the Lord responds to this. When Jesus, verse 9, heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who have been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Now here are two people in the Bible who put this right out before us in plain, plain practical language that we can all understand. No, no, I'm not really worthy. Not worthy of the least of your favor, as Jacob says. But now, if you look at the next thing that we want to move to, so the first thought is worthiness, but the second thought is compassion. And you find this in uh, verse number 41. Here it says, moved with pity, translated pity here. Kind of interesting that in Mark's gospel, Mark calls our attention to this facet of Jesus' nature, his character, compassion. Does that on four separate occasions. We have it here, of course, in response to this leper. And then if you go over to chapter 5 and verse 19, then we have what's commonly referred to, if you, if you have um, little headings in your Bible, paragraph headings, that kind of thing, lots of times this story, um, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, it is referred to as the maniac of Gadara. I always find that kind of a... a a telling phrase, the maniac of Gadara. And when you read about this, you know this story, I think. Jesus comes across the Sea of Galilee. He finds this man who's just a wild man, and this, hence the term maniac. He's just absolutely crazy. He's possessed with demons. He asks the demon what his name is. He says, Legion. Well, if you think about what a full-strength Roman legion is, that's 6,000. And I don't really know whether there were 6,000 of them indwelling that guy, but he was just absolutely out of his mind. He ran in and out amongst the tombs. Uh, they tried to catch him. They would try to, to deal with him. And, and I guess, you know, he was a minister himself and other people. And he would tear off whatever they, whatever they would use to try to bind him. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus, it says in verse number 19, uh, in our chapter here, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home and tell your friends. This is after he's, he's sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And he, he asked if he can go with the Lord, and he says, no, go home and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had, and here's translated mercy, has had mercy, compassion on you. So we've got a leper. We've got a, a cruelly demon-possessed man that Jesus also heals. In chapter 6 and verse 34, we've got a, a gang of people, a bunch of them, that are hungry, and they've been listening to the Lord. 
And it says in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And we go on and read in the story about how the Lord fed that, that multitude, 5,000 men besides the women and children. That's the third one. There's one more over in chapter 8 and verse 2. And you have another situation where you have a great crowd. So all of this draws our attention. Chapter 8, verse 1, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat and he called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and so forth and so on. And so you think about this now. The Lord has compassion on crowds. He has compassion because he sees their spiritual need. He sees them as sheep having no shepherd. He sees their physical need. And he has compassion on them in that respect. He sees a leper. He has compassion on him. He sees a cruelly demon-possessed man. He has compassion on him. And so compassion is a dimension of the, of the character of God and is a dimension of the, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you think about this, and I've, I've spent some time kind of highlighting this because once you start talking about compassion, you're kind of really in a subset of God's grace. It's not very far from compassion to get right back to the fountainhead of compassion, which is God's grace. It's only a short, short stop from the one to the other. Now we're really talking about the thing that matters. When we ask this question about answers to prayer, do we deserve them? Well, no, in the purest sense, we don't. But God's grace enters into the equation. God's compassion enters into the equation. And a great verse, really, that is a favor of mine, this has been a, a memory verse of mine for years, and I couldn't begin to tell you how many times I've, I've quoted this verse to myself and quoted it in the course of messages is really a, a verse that deals with prayer, which is what we're talking about tonight. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, where we're told, For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or tested, just like we are, yet without sin. And then it, there's this exhortation, there's this encouragement. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment, which is what we deserve, but the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, that brings us now from worthiness to compassion or a consideration of God's grace to the last thing that I want to talk about tonight, and that's unworthiness, because the actions of this man prompt another question. In fact, it raises the final question, and that's really this, to apply it to us, thinking about what happened with this man. In spite of God's grace, can he really trust us with the blessings that we seek from him? Are we worthy of them in that sense, that God can trust us with them? What, I'm what am I talking about? Well, as I pointed out to you, Jesus sternly charges, as it says in verse 43, this man. You might kind of think that's arbitrary. It really is not arbitrary at all. We'll get to this in just a moment as to 
why this is. But he gives him uh, something that's hard to mistake. He's very clear about this in emphasizing it's, a, it's an intensive type of a, of a word. So, um, and here's what he says, and I, I'm a little bit confused as to why the, the ESV chooses this particular translation. The only point is that you get to the end of it. He says to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. So he reinforces this, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Here's what to me is a little bit confusing. It says for a proof to them. It's a little strange to me. That, that translation is just a bit strange. That's the standard Greek word for testimony. And pretty much all of the reasonably conservative versions of the Bible that we use on a regular basis translate it testimony. The King James translates it testimony. The NIV, the Legacy Standard Bible, the New American Standard, they all translate it testimony. So I, it's a little odd to me that they chose that particular translation here, but that's really the point that's being made, okay? I think that does a little bit more for us than proof. What was Jesus after? Well, he was after two things. He wanted this man not to go and blab, so to speak, but he, wanted, he did want God to receive the glory for it. So he sent him to the priest and said, go make the offering that the Levitical law requires for your cleansing. It'll be a testimony to them. So what does he do? Does he prove himself worthy of the blessing that he sought from the Lord and the blessing he was granted. No. No, it says he went out and began to talk freely. You'll have to pardon my vernacular. He, he went out and blabbed. And so if you think about this for a moment, what's really going on here? Why does he do this? Well, you, you could, I suppose, come maybe first of all to the conclusion that he's so relieved to be healed of, of leprosy and the, the awful burden physically and spiritually that that Im, and socially that that imposed on him, that he just couldn't restrain himself. And there might be a, a modicum of truth to that, but I don't really think that's so much the, the problem. I don't think that's really so much what's going on. You see, when he first comes to Jesus, he's characterized by desperation. And so he comes humbly. And you know, when the Lord puts us in circumstances like this, this man was in, even if it's not for something as extreme as, as leprosy, that's generally the posture that we take when we come to the Lord. We come to him with humility. We come to him expressing our dependence. We come to him acknowledging again that we don't deserve anything from him, but we're asking for his favor and blessing by his grace. Well, this guy got over that in a big hurry. And I think a lot of what's going on here is, is that he's kind of bragging about the situation a bit. The question is, will you and I, just as this man did not, will you and I maintain the humility and desperation that brought us to God to pray to him in the first place? Or having gotten what we wanted from God, will we forget all about that and go out and in some sense fail to give the glory to God and in, in the reverse sense take some of that credit on ourselves. Well, you come to this conclusion even though the story just sort of ends at this point. This, this man really couldn't be 
trusted with the blessings that he was seeking from God. He proved himself unworthy. And now we come sort of to the reason that this whole thing comes about from Jesus' standpoint. Why why does he give him this stern charge not to tell anybody? Well, it has to do with his mission. And if you go back a little bit earlier in the chapter, verse 28, take a look. Mark 1, 28, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So Mark is introducing us to the ministry of Christ and his preaching ministry, which was paramount, was augmented, and his claims were augmented by his healing ministry and the miracles that he performed. But the net effect of that, which was was good in some ways, was it drew tremendous crowds. And so Jesus was able to preach to those people. If we move down a little bit further, look at verse 37. And here it says, this is Simon, this is Peter. And it says, uh, they found him, because he'd gone out a great while before day to pray. And they found him, it says in verse 37, and it said, everyone is looking for you. Verse 38 says, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. So now when we look at what happens in verse 45, it says he went out and blabbed so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So in essence, this man actually proved to be a hindrance to the work of Christ. Let me leave you with this thought tonight. So is there any sense at all in which you and I might be our own worst enemy? You and I might actually be hindering the blessings that God wants to give to us. And I would suggest that if we come to God tonight with that that note of urgency, that note of desperation, that confession of humility, then even though in the purest theological sense, none of us merits anything from God, there is a sense in which God will be pleased to bless us. And there's another sense in which when we forget to express that dependence and rely on God's grace, we show ourselves to be unworthy of the very blessings that we seek from God. So may God help us in that tonight.